Praise the Lord. Good morning. If you would, uh, turn in your Bibles to Galatians chapter 5, verse 19. Galatians 5, verse 19. And if you would, try to um, stay engaged through the whole message, because this is the summary of what Paul has been teaching in Galatians. And um, I'm afraid if you miss part of it, it'll, it'll really mess up uh, the teaching. So try, if you can, not to go in and out. I know sometimes you need to, but try to stick with this teaching all the way through. Very important. Um, it says in verse 19 of chapter 5, Galatians, it says, Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I told you in times past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But, the spirit of the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. And those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the spirit, then let us walk in the spirit. Also walk in the spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another and envying one another. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just pray that you would touch uh, the preaching of this word, Lord God, that you would uh, help me, Lord. Uh, Give me the ability, Lord, to speak your word clearly, Lord, and um, Lord, I pray that hearts would uh, understand, Lord, and uh, just bless this word. Let it go forth and accomplish uh, what you intended to do, Lord, and we ask these things in your name, Lord Jesus, and everybody said, amen, hallelujah. Praise the Lord. This is part 10, and the title of my message is Growing Fruit. And uh, this is going to be quite a bit for me to get through this, so hopefully I can get through all of it today and and don't have to, I might have to carry it over till next week. But uh, Paul is um, contrasting um, two different lives here and two different lists. How many know those lists are very different? You know, the works of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit. And he's contrasting those two lives. You know, the life that is uh, living after the flesh, which we'll get into that in a minute, what that is, and the life of uh, living through the Holy Spirit, being led by the Holy Spirit and bearing fruit in your life. And this is a very important conversation for us to understand Because in the Bible, and just to put it in its most simple, you know, the simplest terms, uh, the Bible says that there are two types of trees. And uh, how many remember Jesus speaking about a tree that bore no fruit? And um, he says that that tree, if it doesn't bear fruit, he said he would uproot it and throw it into the fire. And so it's an analogy of a life that God had every intention and every purpose of it bearing fruit for him. He wanted to come look at that tree and see good, sweet, edible fruit. And it wasn't there. And that was his purpose for creating it in the beginning. And because it did not bear fruit, um, he had to, he had to uproot it and cast it away. And then there's another that bore fruit. And God was pleased because it did what he purposed it to do. And so how many have ever had something, whether it's a bush or a plant or a tree, that bore fruit? And uh, I guess maybe I'm the only one. Anybody ever done that? Planted a garden, planted an orchard, you know, did something that was going to bear fruit. And so there's a couple of different things that can happen. Number one, it could shrivel up and die and never have fruit on it, right? No tomatoes, no nothing, and we probably, unless we're all perfect gardeners, we've had that happen before, right? Uh, sometimes it can have fruit on it, because, but because it hasn't been fertilized, it hasn't been pruned, it hasn't been taken care of, sometimes it'll have bitter fruit on it. How many have ever seen that? 
Like you've got fruit, but it's just not edible because it never um, fully ripened into a sweetened fruit, you know, or a vegetable. And so sometimes both of those things happen. And so God is using that analogy of our lives. God wants our lives to produce um, good things. He wants his, um, he died for us so we could produce the fruit of the spirit. And so that's what this is all about is, is, is trying to define what the two types of lives are. And so before I get into that, I really want to look at a contrast that Paul's making here that is very important because how many know I have to preach on the works of the flesh that are evident and obvious and you've seen the list. Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousy, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambition, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like. Now I've got to define that whole list. Now how many know that's not an enviable task? Okay? And that list is intended to make us understand the kind of life that number one, we could live because it's in our human nature. But number two, it's the kind of list I have to make sure we understand that we're all fully capable of of having in our life. And so that, if I do my job correctly, how many know that can bring a lot of emotions like condemnation and those kinds of things? And so there's a purpose to that list, and that's what I want to start off with today. But let me contrast something Paul is trying to teach through this. And um, hopefully you'll understand this before I go into the definitions of that list. Paul is trying to contrast the law and grace. So I want you to look at some contrasting phrases of each of those two things, okay? The law prohibits, but grace invites and gives. Think about that. When you think of the law, what do you think about Don't do this, don't do that. But when you think of grace, what does grace say? It invites. See how they're contrasting? The law condemns the sinner, but grace redeems the sinner. The law, when it does its job right, it makes you understand that you're a sinner, but it doesn't do anything to save you. How many know grace comes in and tells you how to deal with that condemnation? They're two different things. Grace says, do this. The law says, do this. Grace says, it is done. Do you know the difference between the two? The law curses. How many know the law curses? Because you can't fulfill it completely in your own strength but grace blesses you know there's a difference they're they're total opposites in a lot of ways aren't they the law slays the sinner i mean it, it, it literally puts you to death and says you're a sinner and it slays you and it has no hope in it but grace makes the sinner alive hallelujah Amen. Is somebody awake this morning? All right. Amen. Hallelujah. There's somebody. The law shuts every mouth before God, meaning, I, God, I don't have an answer. I'm guilty. Grace opens your mouth to praise God. Think about it. The law condemns the very best man. Grace saves the worst man. Think about it. The very best man, the law was designed to condemn the very best man and make him humble before God. But grace saves the worst man. Hallelujah. The law says, pay what you owe. You have a debt. Grace says, I freely forgive you all. Hallelujah. See the differences between the two? This is what Paul's really trying to contrast. The law says the wages of your sin is death. Grace says the gift of God is eternal life. The law says the soul that sins will die. 
Grace says, believe and you will live. The law reveals your sin, but grace makes atonement for your sin. The law tells you the knowledge of your sin, but grace shows you how to have redemption from your sin. The law is given by Moses. Grace and truth was given by Jesus Christ. The law demands obedience. Grace gives you the power to obey. You hear that? The law demands obedience, but grace gives you the power to obey. The law was written on stones by Moses. Grace was written on your hearts by the Holy Spirit. The law was done away in Christ, but grace abides forever. The law puts us in bondage, but grace sets us free. Hallelujah. Do you see the difference between the two? So now as we go into this list, we're kind of ready for it because it's going to hit us pretty hard. It better hit us pretty hard because the law is intended to drive us to grace. And so Paul uh, begins this. He says, now the works of the flesh are evident. Okay, when he says the works... That is the Greek word ergo. How many have ever heard of the Greek word ergo for work? In fact, it's where we get our science of studying efficiency in work, ergonomics. And so the word ergo means that now this is the work or the ergo of the flesh. And so when we see flesh, we think about skin and bones and body frames, right? But that's not what it is. Um, Flesh here um, is actually the word sarks, and it simply means our sinful nature. It means that part of our nature uh, that fell in the garden. How many know that we have a sinful nature that's in rebellion with God? It's independent. It's rebelling against God. It doesn't want to listen to God. It wants its own way. It has its own mind. And its own way of doing things, that is what Sarks is. And so Paul makes a list. Now this is the ergo or the work of that part of you that's sinful. Okay? And remember last week I taught about the battle within. The battle is not between you and you. The battle is between that part of you that is sinful and has fallen and is against God and in rebellion and the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the one that is coming to change your sinful nature. And so the Bible says there is a conflict between the two. The Spirit wants to come in and and bear divine fruit in you, a divine nature. He wants you to bear fruit that is worthy of God. God wants to look and see that you're growing fruit of the Spirit, but inside of you is a rebellious flesh, a sarks is what it is in the Greek, and it is the part of you that wants to do my own thing. I don't want anything to do with God. And so he makes a list if a person had no influence of the Holy Spirit, either they ignored the Holy Spirit or they were not a believer and didn't have the Holy Spirit, here's what your life would look like naturally. And so he gives this list and he says this is the deeds or the work and he says this is the evidence. You notice how he says that? He says now the works of the flesh are evident. And that word just simply means it's a phaneros which comes from a uh, form of the word of, uh, it, it means to give light. And so when he says this is the evidence, Paul is intending us to look at these two lists. And how many know if it's our sinful nature, you're always going to find evidences of it in church and in life. How many know that? There's always going to be evidences of the flesh because it's your sinful, fallen nature and we're at a war and the Holy Spirit is trying to change us and make us like God. But he says this is the evidence that you're living this life. This is the evidence of this life. And so when you see this list and it looks a lot like your life, then that's evidence that I'm living after the flesh and not after the Spirit. And so these lists become very important because they become a measuring stick. 
How many know that's important to be able to look at the Word of God and say, man, am I going after the things of the Spirit? Is God changing me? And am I bearing fruit? Or am I fully living this fleshly, human nature lifestyle that God does not like? And so we've got to look at these lists, and they're very important. And so he begins to talk about this list. He says, this, the, the works of the flesh, this is the evidence of it. It says, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousy, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambition, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like. Now, there's a lot of words there we don't always use. So I've got to go through and figure out what are these evidences that I'm living a life apart from the Holy Spirit. If I'm fully into this life, these are the things that are going to show up in my life. But if I'm led by the Holy Spirit and I'm allowing the Holy Spirit to lead me and change me, I should see the things in that second list. Love. Joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. Gentleness, self-control, of which there is no law. Hallelujah. So as we go through this list, I say it's very important because Paul, not just Paul, but also all through the New Testament with Jesus, Peter, every time that they teach, Paul has a pattern in the way he writes. Paul's pattern is to teach doctrinal things. Like, this is what the Old Testament taught. This is what the New Covenant teaches. He teaches very deep doctrine. But then Paul always has a section that is called a practical section. Like, Paul will turn around that doctrine and say, okay, this is what it means for your life. And so in every, almost every book that Paul writes, he has a section of what they would call Vices and virtues. Vices means these are negative things that are to be avoided at all costs in the Christian life. And here's the list of things that you should be seeing if you are a Christian believer. How many have noticed that in the, in the writings with Paul? In fact, let me uh, take you to one of the uh, first ones in the order of your Bible. Look at Romans chapter 1. And I want you to notice these lists, and they're very important And the reason I'm taking the time to go through these lists is because when I define this list from Galatians 5, um, he's using some words as a, um, as a, um, kind of a title for a lot of different sins. In fact, it's a general term. Like when he says sexually immoral behavior, you're going to find out that he's had several other lists where he's expanded on what that means. And he's kind of made a general term in Galatians, but it's kind of nice to see Paul's broader definitions on these other lists that he has. So in Romans chapter 1, we see in verse 25, it says, Therefore God, and this is talking about the wicked that refused God in their life, and this is what ended up happening when they refused God in their life. Therefore, God gave them over to sinful desires of their heart, to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served and create the created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. Amen. Because of this, God gave them over to shameful lusts. Even their women exchanged natural relations for unnatural ones in the same way. Men abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with them, lust for one another. Men committed indecent acts with other men and received in themselves due penalty for their perversion. And then he goes on down the list and he says um, in verse 29, They have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, depravity, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice, They're gossips, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They are senseless, faithless, heartless, and ruthless. And although they knew God, God's righteous decree, and, and that such things deserve death, they not only continue to do them, 
but they also approve of those who practice them. Boy, Paul just needs to say what he thinks, doesn't he? But this is one of those lists that Paul, in preparing to talk about how a man is justified from sin, he's giving you a list of a heart that is rebellious toward God. And how many notice that there are a lot of the same sins that are listed there as in the book of Galatians? Now go to 1 Corinthians chapter 5. He's instructing this church um, on how they should behave and how they should live. Now remember, in Romans, these are a bunch of people that are living in Greco-Roman society, which is just a filthy, perverse society. How many have ever studied the Greco-Roman society during this period of time? And I might get into that in a minute, but they were very wicked, very similar to our culture today. And so Corinth is the same thing. They have, they have believers that have came out of pagan philosophy, came out of pagan culture, and Paul is uh, trying to teach them how to live for God. And he says um, in, in chapter 5, verse 9, he says, I have written to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, but I don't mean people of the world who are immoral or greedy or swindlers or idolaters. In that case, you would have to leave the world. But what I'm now writing to you is not to associate with those who call themselves brothers and sisters, but they are sexually immoral or greedy or idolaters or slanders or drunkards or swindlers. With such, do not even associate. What business is a mind to judge the outside, outside, outside of the church? Are you not able to judge those who are inside the church? So God judges those outside. Expel the wicked men that are among you. How many can recognize what's happening here? Paul is saying that we need to be very cautious. He's saying don't judge the world. But he's giving those same list of vices. And he's saying this shouldn't be in the church. If somebody's sexually immoral or a drunkard or that type of thing... These are vices, again, that Paul is listing. How many can see that Paul is very adamant about listing these things? This is part of the gospel, that Paul lists these acts of the flesh that we are to avoid. Then in chapter 6, he's already covered it, the previous chapter, within the church. But then he says in verse 12, I'm sorry, verse 9 of chapter 6 in 1 Corinthians, he says, don't be deceived. So very important here. He doesn't want us to be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor male prostitutes, nor homosexual offenders, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, or swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And that's what some of you were, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. Do you see that he says the same thing? He says in Galatians that if we behave this way, we won't inherit the kingdom of God. How many think this is important? Paul's making a pretty consistent case here. Now we go a little further. We go to Ephesians. We're studying Galatians, but we go past Galatians, go to Ephesians, and look at chapter 4 of Ephesians. In chapter 4, verse 25, it says... So I tell you this, and I insist on in the Lord, that you must no longer live like the Gentiles do. In the futility of their thinking, they are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity and continual lust for more. You, however, did not come to know Christ that way. Surely you've heard of him and taught him in accordance to the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to the former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by deceitful desires to be made new in the attitude of your minds. Then he goes down. That's verse chapter 4 in Ephesians. Then he goes down in chapter 5 and look at it. Chapter 5, verse 1. Be imitators of God. Therefore, as dearly loved children, live in the life of love just as Christ loved us, gave himself for us as an offering and a sacrifice to God. But among you, there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed because they are improper in God's people. 
nor should there be obscenities, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For out of this you can be sure no immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a man as an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of God, in the kingdom of Christ or of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things, God's wrath is on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be partners with them. You see that Paul always has a section where he's saying, these are the works of the flesh. And can I tell you something? We're all going to find hints here that we say to ourselves, oh my goodness, I need to straighten up. How many know this? We're going to look at all these things and we're always going to see hints because there's the hint of that sexual, our, our sinful nature that has all of these areas. And the Bible says the Holy Spirit is always trying to change the believer to produce fruit. But we always have to be aware that that sinful nature is trying to behave through our lives. It's trying to have an ability to operate in our lives, but the Holy Spirit is always fighting with the flesh to produce fruit. Hallelujah. So let me go on. You say, well, man, that's probably it, isn't it? Well, now let's go a little further. Ephesians. Let's go over to Colossians. Colossians chapter 3. Listen to this. 3 1, it says, Since then you have been raised with Christ, set your heart on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you died and your life is hidden in Christ and God. When Christ, who is in your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to the earthly nature. And here's the same list. Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in your life you once lived. But now you must rid yourself of all such things as these. And he gives you another list. Anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other, since you have taken your old self with its practice and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge and the image of Christ. Here then, and so do you see Paul has the same list, and then you see Jesus. And you begin to look through the Old Test or the New Testament. It says in Matthew 15, Jesus says, Do you not see that whatever goes in your mouth enters the stomach and goes into the sewer? But what comes out of your mouth proceeds from the heart, and this is what defiles you. For out of your heart comes evil intentions, murder, adultery, fornication, theft, false witness, slander. These are the things that defile a person. But to eat with unwashed hands, that doesn't defile. And so you begin to see all the way through. In fact, I could go through 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, 2 Corinthians, 1 Peter, 2nd or 1 Peter 2, 1 Peter 4, 1 Peter 4.25, Revelation 9.20. In fact, look at ends the New Testament here. It says in Revelation um, 21.8, it says, But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the polluted, the murderers, the fornicators, the sorcerers, the idolaters, and all liars will have their place in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. How many think that this is very important to go through these lists? Am I the only one here? How many think that this is being preached uh, in very many places this morning? I'm sweating up here. I'm like, oh no, they're going to run me out. So Paul is trying to make sure, in fact, there's two groups that he's really ministering to here. He's ministering to a group of people that have never known the Lord They lived in a society, in fact, let me quit using the word pagan. They lived in a society that basically did not believe in God. They had no relationship with God. They were unbelievers. They were living a lifestyle that was normal in the world. But now they became believers. And Paul was teaching them about the grace of Jesus Christ that forgives your sins. And how many know with that message, Paul had to make sure they didn't go the direction Of saying, now I don't have to worry about sin because I'm a believer. I can do whatever I want. 
How many know that's one group that he was dealing with? So he had to constantly state, this is the expectation that Jesus Christ has for your life. This is the, this is the sinful, sinful nature life that I want you to avoid. And then he had another group of people that felt like if you just didn't do what the commandment said, do not do this, do not do that, do not do this, then you're all right. I mean, no, that's a whole different group of people. There was a religious group that said, yeah, all you have to do is don't do this, don't do that, don't do this. And they said, if you just follow the law, you're going to be fine. But there were some problems here. Because the fruit of the Spirit aren't just saying, I'm not going to commit sexual immoral behavior. I'm not going to be angry. I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to do that. Paul had another way that was better than just obeying the law. Okay, but let me go, before I get into that, the fruit of the Spirit, let me get into each one of these and what they are. Because we need to make sure we know what Paul's talking about in each of those areas. So when he talks about, in Galatians chapter 5, let me define each one of these. The first one he talks about, when he says sexual immorality in a lot of your versions, some say adultery and fornication, it's actually a very broad term. I mentioned it last week, and it's the word in the Greek called porneia. And a lot of you will recognize it because it's where we get our word pornography. Um, And it just simply means all forms of illicit sexual behavior. And so it is paired up, in fact, these... Sin, sinful nature things are paired up in clusters. They're clustered up together. In fact, you see sexual immorality, uncleanness, or impurity. And the third one is sensuality. And so all three of them are paired up together. Well, in, sexual immoral behavior really just means anything that's not part of a marriage relationship that is sexual so when you talk about fornication that's two people that are unmarried that are that are having sex together right and I can say this I don't have I've got one sleeping so Um, but how many think that's important in our culture to mention that God that is sexually immoral behavior God does not uh, this is part of the flesh lifestyle and here's the problem in the Greek culture how many of you know that was considered normal? It was considered normal. In fact, it was almost considered noble. And you say, well, wow, that's terrible. But have you looked at our culture lately? Fornication is considered normal in our culture. In fact, if somebody's, somebody's living with somebody or somebody's dating and they're young people and you say, well, man, you have to be sexually pure. They're going to look at you like you're an alien. I said, what? What do you mean? Fornication is wrong? And how many know this is a, one of the acts of the sinful nature that God says, if you do that in your life, you won't inherit the kingdom of heaven. If you're living that lifestyle, you won't inherit the kingdom of heaven. The Bible says you have to repent of that lifestyle. Adultery. In the Greco-Roman world, did you know that adultery was normal? It was acceptable for a male aristocrat to have an adulterous affair and it was not considered an abnormal thing. You can look at the history of the Greco-Roman world. It was considered normal. Did you know that homosexual behavior in that culture was normal? In fact, 14 of the first 15 um, um, Caesars or the leader of the Roman government, uh, was involved in homosexual activity. How many know that? It was part of that world. In fact, Greek culture was steeped in homosexuality. In fact, Claudius, they say, was the only one that wasn't involved in that lifestyle. And the culture was steeped in homosexuality. That's why Paul is very clear. In fact, in that one list that I read, it's a passive and an active homosexual person that he mentions in the list of sins. And do you know that Right now, that's not being preached in almost any church 
in the city. In fact, can I tell you, I'm a little concerned. Because for the sake of unity, many people won't preach it. They're saying, oh no, just give them Jesus. Don't preach about any of these sins of the human nature. Yeah, don't talk about that, Chad. But how many know adultery, fornication, pornography, all these things are involved in that one word, porneia. And then it's clustered with a word that is interpreted in a lot of your versions as uncleanness or impurity. That's the word akatharsia, which you put the A in front of the katharsia, it means without cleansing or not clean. In fact, this is a word that just means filthiness. In fact, it's such a putrid filthiness, it's like opening... Have you ever opened a trash can and you've seen the maggots underneath the lid? This is an extreme kind of filth that it's akin to maggots. That's the word Paul clusters with sexual immorality. So he gives in this list, in fact, he clusters it in several of those lists... He says, uncleanness with sexual immorality. So that means a filthiness that it's hard to even clean it up. You know, it's filthiness in mind, deed, and actions. Wow. You say, Chad, this... Can I tell you something? If we don't know these things, how can the Holy Spirit give us His fruit? How can He give us godly character if we don't know these lists? And they're not preaching it. They're, they're preaching a gospel that's socially acceptable. And how many know that people are walking around with such filth in their minds and in their hearts? How many have ever done an act of sexual... And don't raise your hand here. Just in your mind. Think of this. How many have ever done a sexual thing and you felt filthy? Dirty? Or how many your mind becomes so filthy that there's almost nothing somebody can say that isn't sexual in your mind. And this is what Paul's talking about here. It's an uncleanness mixed with sexual immorality. And you say, well, Chad, that's pretty normal. I've known that my whole life. And what I'm saying is that's part of the sin natural. That means as long as we ever have been alive, that seems natural. How many know people that are hooked to pornography? That's the most natural thing in the world for men that I've counseled with pornography. How many think that's true? And and nobody's going to raise their hand because nobody wants to be implicated. Okay? This is the most natural thing to men that are hooked to pornography because they've done it as long as they can remember they've done that. Right? Because it's a sin natural. That means we naturally start doing these things because we have a sinful nature. We're naturally in rebellion against God. How many know that there are some thieves that I've, I've known in my lifetime that I've talked to that as long as they can remember, they've been stealing things? There are people that lie, and for as long as they can remember at the very youngest age, they've been lying. How many know there are people that gossip And as long as they can possibly remember, they've talked about people behind their back. There are people that envy, and as for as long as they can possibly remember, they've envied. There's people that have anger problems that for as long... You see where I'm going here? These are sin naturals. And you say, well, man, you're just trying to nail me here. No, I'm trying to tell you that we all have a sin nature, and these lists are very important because God wants us to look at these lists and say, hey, you know what? Maybe I need to let the Holy Spirit help me. Maybe I need to be led by the Spirit. Maybe I need the Holy Spirit really badly in my life. Because I don't want to die with no fruit. I don't want to die with these sins before God and saying, Man, look at you. You never bore any fruit. You never fought against the flesh. You never let the Spirit fight the flesh. Does everybody understand this? Trying to make it as understandable as I can, but these are clustered together. It's sexual immoral behavior. And somebody said, Well, man, some of those are worse than others. They're all bad. Pornography's bad, adultery's bad, fornication's bad, those thoughts are bad, the all those things are bad, and the Holy Spirit wants to give us a an alternative to that. He doesn't want us just to not do it. That's not enough. He wants to take the He wants the Spirit to bring fruit. 
You can't just say, I'm not going to do it. There's no neutral ground in there. It's one or the other. Something's going to grow there, and it's either going to be the flesh or the spirit. There's no neutral. If you're saying, man, I don't do what everybody else does, you've already lost. You're gonna, those, those flesh things are going to, without the Holy Spirit, how many know without the Spirit leading, that stuff is just going to grow like crazy inside of you? You may, you may find some way to not do one thing, but something else is going to take its place because you need the Holy Spirit to be bearing Holy Spirit fruit in your life. Hallelujah. Here's the second cluster. In fact, the third one is impurity. I already went over impurity. Okay. Let's go to the second cluster here. Actually, the third one is sensuality. I should go over that one. Sensuality, lasciviousness, or sometimes it'll say, um, um, it'll say, um, licentiousness. And so that third part of that cluster with sexuality is, it means you have no shame. And this means a person that is so open with their sexuality, they have no shame at all. They're like, you know what? There's nothing that I'm ashamed of sexually. I'll, you've seen some interviewed on TV. I'm not going to mention names. I don't like to do that. But how many have ever seen somebody that just says, you know what? I'll do anything sexually. I don't care who knows. I have no shame to it. That's what that word means. It means they have a license to do whatever they want and they don't care what God or anybody else thinks they're going to do it. Okay, that's what the sensuality means. Um, okay, here's the second cluster. Idolatry. And you heard it said there, idolatry and sorcery. Idolatry, um, a lot of times uh, we say worshiping other gods, but in the Bible, the one thing they always seem to put with idolatry as the equivalent is greed. How many know that we can put greed is idolatry? That means we have a desire for something that's in the place of God. And so greed is normally what's put there, and what's with it is sorcery. And if you look at this particular word, it's very important because uh, it's the word uh, pharmakias and pharmakon, which is depending on what form of it it is, and you'll recognize it's where we get our word pharmacy. And so it's normally associated with heathen worship. It's, it's associated with pagan worship, so the people in this day knew it very well. And so generally what most commentators will say is, this is the, uh, in fact, uh, this is um, the process of mood-altering and mind-altering drugs that were used for the occult, witchcraft, and magic. Pagan religious practices required the use of drugs uh, that they believed aided them in the communication with demons or deities. You say, wow, that has no modern equivalent, does it? In fact, uh, I, I pulled up an interview that I found really interesting. It was a um, tribe. In fact, it was a native tribe in Venezuela. The man was a witch doctor. And uh, toward the end of his life, he became converted and he began to give a testimony of his life. And he said that at a very young age, uh, he was pulled aside because he was sensitive to spiritual things. And so they began to train him to heal people and to be a shaman. And so what they did uh, most of his young life was they would blow drugs into his nose and they would make him go without food and water and they would put those psychedelic drugs in his nose so he could meet um, spirits. And so he said he began to give testimonies of what would happen Uh, in this culture, and he said it was through those psychedelic drugs that he would meet deities. And I'm just telling you, this is a reality all over the world right now. This is still their practice, and it was their practice back then. And so they would put these mind-altering drugs uh, into their system, and he would experience spirits. And he said the more they did it, the more uh, wicked the spirits became. And by the end of his life, he was tormented by these spirits. And they said, well, it's probably just your imagination from hallucinations from the drugs. And he said, no, because there were others um, that they did the same thing with without drugs, and they seen the same spirits. And how many know that drug addiction, mind-altering drugs, uh, is the same today as it was yesterday? And that includes alcohol, which is the worst drug in the world. 
and it also includes marijuana. Hello. It also includes anything that is mind-altering is very dangerous. And you say, well, no, Chad, God created every plant and every herb. Can I tell you, I've heard that all my life to the point where I am sick of it. I'm sick of it. We've got a drug problem in our country, a bad drug problem. And you say, well, man, it's just a plant. Well, how come you don't uh, use hemlock? Why not arsenic? It's pretty natural. Are we just taking all plants because God made them? Are we just selecting certain ones? I mean, I don't know. Did God make hemlock? Yeah. Sorcery. That's Farmer Kauai in church. God has called us away. This is a work of the flesh with the other ones. He's called us away from materialism. He called us away from greed. He called us away from sorcery. I told you this was going to be personal. We should find something with everything in here. Everybody should be looking at this list and saying, man, that hit me. You know why it hits you? Because the Holy Spirit doesn't want those things in your life. The Holy Spirit wants you to have the fruit of the Spirit, not the works of the flesh. We've done the work or the ergo of the flesh long enough. It's time to do the fruit of the Spirit. Hallelujah. Let me see if I can offend some more. And I apologize. I'm not trying to be mean. Just there's things in here that hit me too. Here's the next cluster. Strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger... Disputes, dissensions, factions. They all work together. Strife is, um, the word eris means contention, quarrels, rivalries, uh, positions on a matter. Strife is a general term that carries the ideals of self-centered rivalry and contention about the truth. Jealousy. This is the word zelos. This means to boil over toward a person. Like it's, it's the sound of bubbling water is the actual Greek word. How many have ever boiled over and said, man, I just hate that person? This is what jealousy is. How many have been jealous over a boyfriend or a girlfriend? And there's that bubbling over. I'm so jealous because of what they did. Okay, this is the boiling over, but it's the boiling over toward other people. Outbursts of anger. Thumos. This is to move impetuously like the air, wind, a violent motion or passion of the mind. Sometimes it's interpreted passion in some of the lists. Um, but this is an outburst of anger. There's disputes. This is uh, selfish ambition. Um, oh, I'm sorry. I missed one. Enmities. Yeah. Enmities is actually the first one. Enmities means, um, speaks of an enemy. It's one who is hostile to another, means they're antagonistic, they express enmity. The word suggests a hatred, which may be open or concealed. It expresses a deep-rooted hatred or an irreconcilable hostility. Have you ever had an irreconcilable hostility towards somebody? An antagonistic, I hate that person, I refuse. In fact, the literal word means to build up a wall. That I will, it's the opposite of love, and it describes somebody that builds a wall uh, against an enemy. Strife means that you're fighting or you have a rivalry with that person. Jealousy means I boil up every time I see him. Uh, outburst of anger means a violent wind, like a passion uh, toward that person. Disputes means selfish ambition. Sometimes your versions will say selfish ambition. This means that uh, for my personal gain, uh, I choose to do this, and for no other reason except this is what I want, what I want, what I want. Have you ever seen that? <laughs> this is a good list. Dissensions. Um, this means a standing away from somebody and a refusal uh, to be in one accord. That I want to have discord, I want to have disunity, I want to have contention, I want to be an opposing group. And then it says divisions and factions. Um, this means an, faction is an outbreak of selfishness when multiple people come together and are opposed. How many can see these being works of the flesh? Isn't this a pleasant thing on a Sunday morning? I know I'm losing everybody now. <laughs> I told you this would take me a while to get through, but how many believe this is important to go through? Then it goes through, and the fourth cluster is envying, drunkenness, and carousing. Drunkenness and carousing are always together. Because what it means literally is, let's go drink 
and let's have a wild party. That's what drinking and carousing or revelry is. In fact, it normally is. Let's get together, let's drink alcohol, and let's do whatever we want. That means whatever revelry we can find. How many know what it's talking about here? And these are the works of the flesh. And so Paul says, and I'm going to close with this. I might get in the gifts of the Spirit or the fruit of the Spirit next week a little more. But Paul says there is another list. How many thinks that was ugly? I mean, I feel dirty just reading the list. <laughs> Hallelujah. Can I tell you something? Don't be mad at me. This is a list that I have to read. I need to know for myself. Things on there that I look at and I say, man, Chad, you're ugly. How many know that list is made to do that? The Holy Spirit can't make you beautiful until you realize how ugly you are. Right? And some of you say, well, I'm not ugly. I've never been ugly. I'm talking spiritually, okay? I'm not talking about your physical beauty here, right? But how many know it's good for us to read those lists and say, man, I shouldn't be using profanity. Say, well, now look, you pick, pick me out. No, I'm not picking you out. I'm just saying. I can't, I can't read these lists without somebody saying, oh, no, that's me. Right? I shouldn't be having fits of rage. I shouldn't have all these things, right? And so it's made for the Holy Spirit to take that list and say, okay, now I can help you. Now you can see God's grace. Now you can see fruit begin to grow in your life. And so there's another list. And it's love, joy, peace, self-control, all these things. And did you notice, before I get into it next week, did you notice he said, against such things there is no law. What does that mean? That means that whole other list, our entire legal system was made because of that list. In fact, look at it. The sexually immoral behavior... The outbursts of anger, the envy, the drunkenness, the drug addiction. How many know our legal code was made for that list? Now tell me this, how many laws do you know that were made for a person that just loves too much? How many laws are on the books because somebody is generally caring about people too much? How many laws are in the books because somebody is just too peaceful and too calm? How many laws are in the books because somebody is overly patient? How many laws are in the books because somebody is too kind? How many laws are in the books because somebody's too good? Laws in the books because somebody's too faithful, gentle, or self-control? Hallelujah. Stand to your feet this morning. I don't even know what time it is. 1244, that's not bad. You got a bonus 14 minutes and I'm not even going to charge you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Let's pray. Oh boy. Heavenly Father. Lord, I just pray that you would take this list, Lord. and um, Lord, let the work of the law do its work, Lord God, where we realize, Lord, that We need to throw ourselves at your feet. We need your grace. We need your mercy. We need your love, Lord God. We need you to help us. Lord, help us recognize the things on that list that are works of the flesh. And Lord, help us um, to bear fruit. That you'll look at us and say, well, there's fruit in that life. That my spirit is changing that person in all those areas. And Lord, that's what we want. We want to bear fruit of the Spirit, and uh, we want you to change us, Lord. And in your name we pray, Lord Jesus, amen. And church, I would just recommend to you, just pray. Find a place at the altar. Don't be in a hurry to leave and just say, Holy Spirit, what on that list bothered me? You know, what made me angry at Pastor Chad for saying it? I'm, I'm saying because I love you. I'm not saying because I'm trying to be mean. I'm just saying it because God expects to bear fruit in our lives. And so whatever it is, find a place, maybe kneel at your seat, maybe close your eyes, raise your hands, whatever you got to do, and just say, man, I need help. But maybe you need to go a step beyond that. Maybe you need to find a pastor to pray with you today. Maybe we need to meet during the week.
God wants to bear fruit in your life. He wants God, God will forgive you of all of it. Remember my list of what grace does. Law will drive you to your knees, but grace will lift you up and say, raise your hands. Praise God. God will forgive you. God will change you. God will cleanse you. Remember the one list said, such were some of you, but you're not now. So find a praise place to pray. If you need prayer, we're here for you. Hallelujah. just want to close with uh, one quick thought here. Um, just maybe, yeah, I was, um, I was at a um, training meeting for my job, and the meeting was um, required for me, and it was a meeting on inclusion, which I'll be honest with you, I've very inclusive person which means I love everybody and it doesn't matter to me what their background is or anything about anybody I'm very welcoming to everybody love everybody but the meeting took another step farther than companies have ever gone before in fact right now there's a thing called ESG I just want to warn you about as a pastor it's a government um um, a department of the government that is forcing companies to um, it's forcing values that they deem important on people through companies because they're private companies and the constitution isn't necessarily um, you're able to bypass the constitution and enforce ESG so anything they want to enforce about lifestyles or or um, about environment or anything that they feel like is their truth and they're going to enforce it on people. And so as we were at that meeting, um, you know, obviously at that meeting, one of the big topics was that, you know, no matter what, we're to affirm people and whatever they believe they are. And so that was a big topic. And so if somebody is... Um, in a gay lifestyle, for instance, I'm just being straight with you. You know, there's not very many preachers that will be honest with you anymore, but I will. You need to affirm that lifestyle. And so they said, well, whatever you say in this meeting stays here in this room. And, you know, I was the only one in that meeting that stood up and said, you know what? I love everybody. I make everybody feel welcome. I go on my way to help everybody at this company, but, but, but understand, I'm a pastor. And God requires me to tell the truth to every person that I meet. And that is more important to me than this company. And I sat down, and I'm so glad. I'm so glad that they have to include me also in my beliefs. But, but just understand... This is going to happen to you very soon. Your companies are going to force you to believe certain ways and not say certain things. And how many know Paul didn't back off of the what he taught? He said, this is sexually immoral behavior. And if somebody were to ask me if that's sin or not sin, how many know we still have to say that's sin? And as a pastor, I'm required to preach it. And you say, well, don't do that, Chad. Just don't mention that. Just don't say that. How many know this is the direction we're going in our society? And I'm just telling you, church, we can't be ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God unto salvation. And I'm just going to warn you ahead. And you say, well, Chad, that message isn't going to be very popular around here. Then guess what? It just isn't going to be very popular then. Paul wasn't very popular in most of the towns he went to. In fact, he was so unpopular, they pelted him with rocks. Left him for dead. You know, got beaten up in every city he went to. That's not a very popular person. How many know that? And very soon, we're probably not going to be very popular either. Hallelujah. But we've got to preach the truth because we're never going to have people bear the fruit of the Spirit without the truth. Hallelujah. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. 
We love your word. Father, the good, the bad, the ugly, Lord God, your word, we love it, Lord. And I just pray, Lord, that you would um, help us, Lord. Speak the truth in love, Lord, but the truth in love, Lord. Help us, Lord God. Oh, Lord God, that we would... um, Lord, we'd not be afraid. We would not uh, be protective, Lord God, of reputations and money and all these things, Lord God. But we would preach boldly your word in a world that uh, doesn't want to hear it, Lord. But let us do it, Lord God, and be faithful. In your name we pray. Everybody said, Amen.